have you ever experienced a major plot twist in your life? Okay, so we're in good company. Have you ever been in a situation where your whole world crumbled before your eyes? And everything that you have been taught, everything that you know about God and his goodness, just is tested beyond belief. 11 weeks ago, I was over here in England, sorry, over here, and then your entire country. Um, I was in uh, Stoke-on-Trentinus in UCB. And I was at an ambassador meeting, a training day, because I'm a UCB ambassador, so I was having training. And afterwards, the next day, I left and had a meeting with one of the executives. They offered me a job. I was going to work with Prayerline. It was this amazing opportunity. I'd gone through the process of grieving for leaving my family, leaving my country, moving to England. I was ready. It took a long time. I cried for a lot, leaving um, like my sister's kids specifically. And I was ready. I was coming home on that Wednesday to move to England that Sunday. I had a leaving party planned. And people driving up even from down south to come and say goodbye. We had celebrated, we had we thanked God for this amazing opportunity. And my mum was with me, you know, the legend. Uh, she was recorded on UCB2, her testimony. It's online as well. You can if you email me, I'll get it to you if you want, because there's other people asking that as well. And everything seemed really perfect. You know, getting that close to perfection, right there, like your breakthrough is actually right there, and you think all those years of plowing the field is finally over, I'm gonna get a harvest. Being in that place, and it's too good to be true. And as I was walking through security, I was literally walking through security, I was putting my toiletries back in my suitcase, and my heart started going really funny. And I looked at my mum and I said, I don't feel right, Something, something's not right, I think I'm having a panic attack. And before I knew it, I blacked out. I woke up 12 minutes later, didn't know where I was, I didn't know what happened, but I'd had a grandma seizure for the first time in my life and I nearly died in my mum's arms, lying in the security, 11 weeks ago, lying on the floor in security. And my whole world crumbled. <laughs> this is a raw message, because I'm still in it. And what I'm sharing with you today is what God has taught me in the last 11 weeks. I was in the hospital for eight days. They told me that they thought I had a brain tumor. They thought, they thought lots of things. And all I could do, because I was away from my support network, you know, I didn't have my family, friends, us in a different place. Um, we'd only brought clothes for three days. We were there in total for 11. You know, uh, our friend Paula, bless her, uh, UCB are amazing. They really are. They looked after us. They put mom up in the hotel. Paula, our friend, her mom came and collected our clothes and did our laundry. You know, wee things like that that you don't even think about. 
But when you're stranded in a foreign country with no support, it's really scary. It was just me and mum. And all I could do was put my headphones in and play that Lauren Daigle song, You Say. I don't know if you've heard it, but you should, you should look it up. Because they were saying all sorts of big, scary things to me, but I was like, but Lord, you say I am loved, but I don't feel the thing. And I just stood on the fact that I knew that my daddy was good, no matter what my situation looked like. When I was in the ambulance, I had a really scary moment because I was unable to speak and I couldn't move my arms and my legs. It was a really, really bad seizure and I had this moment of clarity. I don't know, maybe some of, maybe some of you know what a seizure is like, maybe you've had some, it's really scary. My mum's been a nurse her whole life and she said she'd never seen a seizure like that. It was a very bad seizure. My God, I don't remember it, but she does. She's traumatized. And I had this moment in the ambulance and it was just me and the whole spirit and my mom texting everyone to pray in the background. And I said, Jesus, you've called me to be a speaker. I don't know if I'll ever be able to speak again. Have I had a stroke? God, if I can't thank you in this moment, I really don't know if I'll be able to thank you again. I couldn't speak, but in my mind, I started saying, thank you, God. I don't feel like thanking you, but thank you, thank you, thank you. And God started showing me all the ways that he had protected me. I'm not going to get into it just now, but have you ever had to thank God when your whole world crumbles? I lost my driving license, so I lost my job. I did it because I needed to drive for the job. I lost my independence. I'm not allowed to go walking by myself. I'm not allowed to do all of these things because I'm a high risk of having another seizure which I'm not accepting, but anyway, we're not getting into that. I don't know what your plot twist is. It could be a divorce. It could be a husband coming home and telling you that he's had an affair that you didn't plan for. It could be a miscarriage. It could be a sudden death. It could be bankruptcy. You might have lost your house. Your kid it could be out of control on drugs. What is your plot twist? And how do we rebuild our lives when they're in ashes? Because we don't know what we're made of until we're squeezed. It's easy to sit in church. It's easy to receive. It's easy to absorb things. But when we're squeezed, what comes out? And the whole time that I was in, the hospital, God kept talking to me about two things. The first thing I kept seeing this picture, and I had read about it in Exodus, and the Israelites had just been delivered from captivity, they just walked through the Red Sea, and they've been walking for three days in the wilderness without a drink. Imagine how thirsty you would be if you hadn't a drink for three days, let alone in a desert. And they come, and you can imagine it. I always try to get inside the characters 
inside their mind and try to landscape it in my mind. And I can imagine these Israelites seeing this water on the horizon. I don't know how many, maybe there's someone here that actually knows that, but they're like, I have thousands that imagine of people. You can, you can imagine it running towards this water, only to find that it was bitter. The bitter waters of Mara. And what the Lord was saying to me in this was, Danielle, it's your choice to drink the bitterness in this situation. All my hopes, all my dreams, everything shattered, taken away in 12 minutes of my life. And he said, you can walk along the shorelines of this bitter situation, or you can drink from it and it can make you sick. Or you can allow me to extend my grace that stick, my grace into this, and it can be a place of refreshing. It can be a place of nourishment. But I don't want you to stay in that place. Because if you drink sweet drinks all the time, you get diabetes. This is only a temporary place. Because I'm bringing you to the Eden, to the promised land. But you have to cultivate and steward where you are now and do what you can now to the best of your ability. And that is what he gave me. But what I found really interesting was that the, the bitter waters of Mara were actually in the wilderness of Shur. When I was looking it up, I discovered that the wilderness of Shur is actually where Hagar ran away and had an encounter with God. In that place of bitterness, when she was so distraught, so rejected, and her husband had threw her out, she'd been used, abused, and spat out. And that is where she had her encounter with God. And I suddenly started to see this situation from a different point of view. I started to remember the faithful history of God in my life. I mean, yes, we obviously talked about it this morning, but those times, you know, where God just showed up, because we're not here as a people that just sit in a pew every Sunday. We see the hand of God in what we do, and he's faithful. He can't change the intrinsic part of who he is, and he is so, so faithful. Because we can't change our situation, but we can choose our response. We can change how we react or respond to situations. We can allow God to absorb the goodness and spit out the badness. But the second thing that he was talking to me about was the call on the shipwreck in Acts 27. And when I got home, oh, the disappointment. Disappointment sucks. <laughs> it really, really sucks. And I got home and I had things packed. You know, I was ready to go and there I am. 31 years old and I had to have a babysitter at all times. And I got the phone call and, uh, you know, she was so lovely. She's like, Danielle, I'm really sorry, but, you know, we've been, it's, it's a comma. It's not a full stop, but we're going to have to put this on pause, this job, because you need to get better. And we don't, I didn't know what it was. Um, it was my phosphate level, but um, we didn't know the cause of it. And so I didn't get the job, I lost my job. I had to phone and take my van off the road, surrender my driving license, 
all of these things. And I was so utterly distraught. And when I was lying, literally lying, crying, sorry, snotty mess, you know, uh, those un we were talking about this, the undignified tears, you know, not the pretty ones where you try to catch the mascara, I mean, the, the full, like, there's a whole toilet roll empty out, you know, one of those ones, cried. My uncle arrived, and just as I got the call, and God love him, the whole t-shirt was soaked. I was bawling my eyes out. And it was in that place that God spoke to me, and he said, Danielle, what are the two shipwrecks in scripture? And I kind of, you know, kind of puzzled myself a little bit, and I thought, well, obviously Paul, because you're already talking to me about Paul. But I suppose it would be Jonah. Jonah would be the other shipwreck. And from that point in May, the second week of May, God has been talking to me about Jonah and about Paul and the difference between the two shipwrecks. And this is what I want to talk to you today. So what comes to your mind when I say Jonah, you probably think, well, he ran away and you know the whale swallowed him up, right? And that's like straight away what I thought when I read it, it's four chapters, I read it in like 10 minutes and thought, oh right, okay. But then God started to challenge me and he said, Danielle, I want you to, I want you to look at the story again. I want you to look at it from a different perspective. And so I try to, as you do. Obedience is always good when it comes to godliness. Um, and so when I started reading this, I thought, wow, this is amazing. So what we have is Jonah. God's like, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh and proclaim, proclaim the word of the Lord. And Jonah, it literally says in, in verse 3, but Jonah rose and fled. I want you to bear this in mind because this message is for moms that have mad kids. I'm talking my kind of mad, right? But also children that have disconnected from you emotionally. They're there but they're disconnected, that rebellion, where they're running from the presence of God that is within you. This is for you today. So he ran, and what's amazing, what I find so profound, is that Jonah paid passage on this boat. So the boat was in Jaffa, which is a trading port, and the boat was going to Tarshish. I said that confidently, that's probably not how you say it going to Tarshish and it was a mercenary ship so they were trading they were tradesmen that was what they did so you can imagine Jonah turning up and, and saying you know he said I paid the fare right so he paid his price he was an imposter on that boat he wasn't meant to be on that boat he wasn't skilled in any way in fact he was doing the opposite of what he was actually meant to be doing so this is where we find it my first four challenged me to no end because when everything got thrown up in the air and the prayer call went out as you know prayer chains do i got inundated with hundreds of messages from people you know it's so awesome it's lovely i'm not negating that at all but everyone was like well danielle the devil's this and the devil's that and the devil's this that and the other and 
I didn't have a witness to that at all. I didn't think that this was the enemy trying to wipe me out. I didn't. I did not have that conviction at all. I didn't understand why. I did. I just didn't. I didn't get that. And then I got this message from a man called Roy at UCB, an amazing man. And out of all of the hundreds of messages, all he said to me was, and write this down, ladies. This has wrecked me for weeks. This is a good one. Nestle, don't wrestle. The enemy cannot touch you. You're God's kid. This has not come from him. Do not give him any glory. And I didn't like it at first because it didn't rest with my theology. It didn't. And then I read verse 4 of chapter 1 in Jonah, where it said, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, <laughs> and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship threatened to break up. Not every storm in your life is caused by the devil. Now that throws some theology out of the water. It doesn't really go with Western culture and Christianity. Not every storm comes from the devil. It doesn't. In fact, I was watching Designated Survivor because I'm at home all the time. I, this is the first, well, second time I've been out of my house in two weeks. I feel like a caged lion. But anyway, uh, and we've been watching Designated Survivor, the first series. It's clean, the first series. And there was this one scene, for those of you that don't know, Designated Survivor is something about the American government fighting terrorism, right? <sighs> Amazing. I really like him, but we like thriller stuff, you know? We like a, a bit of drama. And so we watched this scene, and there was an explosion in, in Washington in this, uh, in this particular episode. And what we have then in the next scene is someone from uh, an organized terrorist uh, unit come forth and claim the attack and say, well, that was me. And so he got the glory for that when really it wasn't him. He just needed to have the glory. You see, the original fight, the original battle was between Lucifer and God for his glory because he wants to be worshipped. And sometimes we give him too much glory and it's not his, it's God's. God has the glory that is not his to take. And when I realized that, and I started seeing God's fingerprints all over this. And I thought, Jesus, there's something in this that I don't understand, that I'm gonna catch it and I'm gonna run with it. Because this was not the devil's doing. I am yours. And I will fear no evil in my life. No evil. So then what we find in Jonah, uh, Jonah boards the boat. The storm goes crazy. And where is Jonah? Fast asleep. Fast asleep. Who has got onto your boat and brought their drama with them? Uh, right? Because we're not talking about Jonah. We're talking about the crew here. Because the crew picked up the consequences of Jonah's behavior, and they were the ones fighting for Jonah's life. And Jonah was fast asleep, fast asleep. And the message that God has burned into my heart for 11 weeks 
the message that I could not sleep last night because I was so pumped up to tell you is who is your Jonah? Who is your Jonah? Why are you fighting the spiritual battle for their life when God has brought the storm into their life to reveal who he is in their life? Who is your Jonah? Because if you keep taking responsibility for this person's life, they will never take responsibility for themselves. One of my mentors a couple of years ago sat me down. My sister was going through a lot. And she said, you know, Danielle, as long as you keep taking responsibility for your sister, she'll never know that Jesus is truly her savior. If you keep saving her, if you keep swooping in and picking her up, if you keep swooping in and fixing things in her life, she has no need to depend on Jesus. We as women, I say that with men as well, but specifically I think it's a mom thing. I'm not a mom, but we like to fix things because we don't want our kids we don't want the people around us. I'm saying this because I love my, my niece and nephew. I don't want them to experience pain because I love them. And I don't want them to go through hardship, but I am not their savior. And you are not your child's savior. What battle are you fighting? The crew wouldn't let go. They wouldn't let go. They kept fighting, they kept fighting, they kept fighting, they kept fighting. You can even picture it. So a couple of years ago, I was in Greece, and I just love this. I really love this, because God uses everything, right? He uses everything. Part of one of my jobs in Archelon was that I went on the tourist boats around the island, and was on the boat educating tourists. And one day, we were, uh, we were out and about, and I was, well, I was actually watching, I was speaking to Bex about this, I was watching the tourists get off the boat and, you know, bless them, we've all been tourists. And they were really delicately trying to get off the boat front steps, you know, to make sure that nothing pops out and really delicately swimming. But they were trying to get down and they couldn't because the Aegean Sea, the Adriatic Sea, is so saline, it's so salty, it's really buoyant. It's really hard to get down. If you've been, if you swam in it, you understand. You can just like not swim and you just float. Really, really, it's not as bad as the Dead Sea, but it's very, very salty. But I knew, I knew that in order to get down to look beneath the surface of the water, I had to jump up from a great height because you can't get down. And what I read when I was reading this, I was amazed because what happens in the next kind of part of this is that the captain goes down to Jonah. Jonah's fast asleep and he says, what are you doing sleeping? What are you doing sleeping? Get up. You need to pray to whatever God it is that you serve to save us. So Jonah comes upstairs. He has this moment with the crew. They all draw lots because sailors are really superstitious. They all draw lots. And then we have this moment in verse 9, chapter 1 where Jonah has to take ownership of his identity, but also take ownership of his behavior. So he says, actually, I am a Hebrew, and I serve the Lord God Almighty, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. 
And then the men were exceedingly afraid because they knew, as he told them, that this storm was his fault. Is there someone in your life that you know needs to take responsibility for a storm that you're currently trying to protect them from? Nevertheless, it says the men rode hard to get back to dry land. So even then, when Jonah said, you need to chuck me over this boat or this boat's gonna sink, even then, they tried to fix it. They made one last attempt to get back to dry land. And the boat kept breaking. So the reason that I told you that story about the boat was in the next part, what I love about this is that they would have had to throw him from a very great height. So this was a big boat. Because in chapter 2, you have Jonah's prayer. But when I was reading it, it was like his testimony. This is where Jonah not only takes responsibility for his behaviour, but actually repents and turns towards God. And it says here that the, uh, the seaweed entangled him. So he was right down at the bottom. He was at the pits. He was so entangled in the very thing that he had sunk into in his own life, the rebellion, whatever it is for that person in your life. He was entangled in his own sin at the bottom of the ocean, and God sent a whale. Whales don't thrive. In fact, in all the years I've been there, I've never heard of anyone seeing a whale in the Adriatic Sea because it's warm, it's really warm. Whales are cold-blooded. Whales aren't common in that, in, in at all, like they're just not, they're never seen. And so, for the, if you picture the crew, we were talking about this yesterday, whenever I would spot a sea turtle on one of these tourist boats, everybody would rush over to the side and the boat would tip like this. And we'd have to like balance it, the crew, we would all be on the other side trying to balance it out. Um, but you can imagine, this wasn't what that crew signed up for. You know, they didn't want to go to work that day and have to kill somebody. You know, they didn't. Can you picture that? Picture that, throwing someone overboard, knowing that they were going to die. And then seeing probably to them what seemed like a sea monster swallow it up. That's a hard day at work. <laughs> I mean, really, it's, tra it's traumatic. But what we see in this is this beautiful moment. Because to them, it was almost like all was lost. They thought, he's a goner. Just like the disciples, when they looked upon Jesus on the cross, they thought it wasn't supposed to be this way. He's our Messiah. It wasn't meant to be like this. And they watched Jesus die, and I, if it was me, I would have had a lot of questions. Lord, why can't you pop those nails out from your hand? Why can't you just get down off that cross and show them all who you are? But he didn't. And just like Jonah, in the belly of that whale, it didn't make sense to him either. I'm sure it was pretty sticky, <laughs> dark, scary. It could have been horrendous. 
But just like we didn't know what was happening, like the disciples didn't know what was happening with Jesus, he walked straight into the gates of hell and took back the keys to death. And three days later, he rose. And right now, what I personally feel like is that, not that I am running away from anything, I don't think that, but at the moment, I feel like I'm in that place of that three days, what's happening? I feel like I'm in the belly of a whale at the moment, locked, with no way out. But God vomited Jonah up out of that whale, because God has control over everything, right? Well, he's sovereign over everything. He's not controlling, but he is sovereign. And then Jonah went back to what he was called to do. Sometimes God brings storms into your kids' lives to stop them from making an even bigger mistake. And you know, the more you fight for them physically, and you fix them, and you try to work, the harder it's going to be for them to turn towards Jesus. He's the only one that's really, I mean, what I love about being a Christian is that we're all about our father's business, you know? And what is the family business of Tintin? It's family restoration. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone that should ever believe in him shall not die but have eternal life. That eternal life is not that we would live in isolation, but we would live as a family. It's a family restoration. And Jesus wants to restore your family. But he can't do it if you're trying to do it for him. You have to throw your kid overboard. Sounds awful. It's time to ditch the cargo. It's time to get rid of things that you are not meant to carry. Because the moment Jonah hit the water, the storm stopped. Let that sit for a minute. Who is it you need to chuck overboard? It's a tough word. It's not over. There's many people in my life, saviour syndrome I call it, where I have tried to fix them and it has burnt me out. And I've negated my duties. I was meant to be taking cargo to Tarshish. I wasn't meant to be fighting a storm for Jonah. What is the distraction in your life? What are you, what are you being drawn away from because someone else in your life isn't taking responsibility for their own? The battle isn't yours. I love that song. You know, the way the Christian church seems to go through waves of songs. I love that. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is how I fight my battles. The other, the other shipwreck was Paul. 
So some of you will relate to the joker, and it'll be touching your nerve. And I don't apologize for that, because that is so good. That is good. And others may be Paul. For me, I am in a Paul situation at the moment. I have been through Jonah situations, but I'm definitely in. I've been Jonah myself, and I have been the crew. But today, I am Paul. <laughs> Sometimes, the storm makes you reassess the baggage that you're carrying. <laughs> mm. uh, that's a challenging word. I've chewed on that one. Paul was on his way to Rome and a storm hit. Do you know how long I was amazed at this? Do you know how long that storm went on? 14 days he was on a boat in the storm. Going back to Greece again. I've actually enjoyed using it as an illustration because it hasn't fit in any other breach I've ever done. But at the end of the season, we have to drive back to Athens. It's about an eight and a half hour drive, but we have to get a ferry. And towards the end of the season, there's these massive storms. I'm not talking British storms here. They are like monsoon madness. The place floods in 15 minutes. And we had to get our ferry in one of these days with a massive storm. And I'll never forget it, the, honestly, like the water was up to the doors of the cars, right? We were literally driving through a flood. We got onto the ferry, we closed the project, and we're there, right? And it calmed down. By 10, 20 minutes into the ferry journey, the wind started. Now this is the same sea, right? The Adriatic Sea, the same sea. And the waves started, and oh my goodness, I've never, my, all my days, and I'm a marine biologist, remember that? I've never seen waves that big. They were huge. And I was on a massive metal ferry. We were all on metal, we were all outside holding on, like going, yeah, these massive waves crashing over the top of the boat. It was incredible. But God brought me back to that because it was utterly terrifying. And we only had to endure it for about two hours. 14 days in that kind of a storm that would take oh that would test nerves of steel there like i mean can you imagine how sick you'd feel can you imagine the smell on the board oh it'd be disgusting but what we see in this in verse 13 in uh, acts 27 it says now when the south wind blew gently Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they went anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But then a tempestuous wind, the northeaster, struck from the land. I did a study a couple of years ago in Song of Songs. Uh, Mike Bickle, amazing study, best study I've ever done. It's online for free. And he talks about the symbology and the depth and the symbology of the Song of Songs. But one of the things that he says is that the south wind, uh, it's in chapter four and it says, awake, O south wind, come and blow upon my garden. And then he talks about the north wind. But the symbology of it is that the south wind symbolizes the winds of blessing, the good things. And the northeastern, uh, the, north, the northerly ones and the northeasterly winds are the winds of turbulence, the winds of trials, the things that come. And both of those winds together unlock the fragrance in the garden. Because you're not going to, we will always talk about the fragrance of Christ. 
But in order to really release the fragrance of Christ, we have to be both blessed and we have to stand in the trials. It's not one or the other, it's both. Both together releases the blessing. And they were violently, it says in verse 18, violently storm-tossed. And it's in that place that they start to reassess the things that they're carrying. Because they're not a cargo ship here, like, they've just brought loads of baggage with them. Storms make you reassess your priorities. The things that you really held dear suddenly get chucked overboard. Some people here need to chuck some cargo. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our own little worlds that things that are so important to us just aren't and we're missing the point of the season that we're in because we're distracted with the things that we're bringing along. Then we have this moment. In verse 21 it says, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. You ever had those moments? You should have listened to me, I was right. Well, Paul was very self-righteous. This is why I really relate to him. And Paul stood up among them and said, you should have listened to me and not set sail to Crete. I told you so. Yet, now I urge you for take heart, there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For that very night stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and worship. And he said, do not be afraid because you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted all those who sail with you. I'm gonna pause there. Because when I was in the middle of this hospital, this is what God was talking to me about. And I couldn't understand it. I didn't get it. It didn't make sense. I didn't want to be hearing about it. I just, I was just, my brain was mush. But when I started to look at it, I thought, actually, Paul was here in this awful situation. And he had an encounter with God. I had an encounter with God. When you read on, it then says that he broke bread and gave thanks. Sometimes God wants us to take communion in the middle of a really awful storm. Communion is it's just what God did in the Last Supper, right? Just before he was crucified. If God said, if Jesus himself in his fullness of his divinity and humanity broke bread and had communion before going to Gethsemane, like, if he did that, then we have to do that too. Communion is inviting God into the very heart of your suffering. And it says when Paul broke the bread and he gave thanks to God, all the sailors came to him. And what we did in the hospital, I'm not going to go into it because it's a long story. Can I put it to my mind? Um, but we started seeing God show up in the most miraculous ways. Nurses coming in, asking me things about my story. We would then hear them go out to the nurse's station and say, did you know she's a project manager and see her project? Oh, really? Yeah, really. The next person was coming. Oh, so, you know, they were just like finding ways to come in, making excuses, and they're like, so um, what, what, do you, what do you do? Did you go to uni? And I'm like, I actually did, yeah, I went to Korean Revolution. What? What do you mean you do? I thought 
thought you said you were over here working for a Christian video and rendition. Uh, no, I, I am actually. It's a, it's a long story. <laughs> but the time the week was up, they all were coming in to talk to me at mom. And they were closing the curtains. And they were telling us the brokenness in their lives. They didn't know Jesus, but when I left, they knew him. And I told them everything that he had done in my life. And I gave them all I got someone from UCB to deliver me a box of words for today. And everybody on that board got a word for today. Every patient, every nurse, every doctor, they left with, I left with the word of God. That I could not, those people would not have known Jesus in that season of their life if I had not allowed God into my life and cause a storm. That I didn't have that opportunity to go in and have communion with God in the middle of my disappointments. And God did something so beautiful. I heard, I was on that lady's ward and I heard at night time women sobbing because they had miscarriages stillborns, there's people dying of cancer, and I'm like, Jesus, where are you in all of this? And he's like, I'm here. I'm here through you. I'm here in spirit. And we prayed with people. We prayed for people. From our hospital bed, God can use anything if you let him into the communion of your suffering. So what's the point of the storm? <laughs> I love this. Because Paul, right? What I love about Paul, I love everything about Paul. Because obviously he persecuted people and became Christian and I also did that. So I can't wait to talk to him in heaven. I think we'll be really great friends. Um, <laughs> but what I love about Paul is that Paul was going to Rome and he ended up in Malta. <laughs> I'm in Malta at the moment. And I thank God for the Malta. I didn't thank God for the Malta 11 weeks ago. <laughs> but I thank God for the Malta. And what we see is that the boat and everything that they knew, everything that they thought, everything that was their safety net was destroyed and crumbled and broken into smithereens in the ocean, but they got out with their life. And I got out with my life. Maybe there's situations where you got out with your life only, and you know what that's like. And then it doesn't stop there, because Paul gets off the boat and he gets bit by a snake, but the snake doesn't get out. Ah, would you hear this? The snake didn't kill him. And when they seen the locals really superstitious, when they seen that the snake didn't kill him, they said, well, you must be a healer. So you have to come to our leader because our leader has a disease. And he, Paul went to the leader of Malta. He prayed for him and he was healed. He then gave Paul permission and Paul prayed for people. And revival broke out in Malta. Yeah, right. The hand that bit Paul, the snake, that hand was the hand that God turned for good and brought us glory. What is your Malta? Who is your Jonah? 
both situations, God got the glory. Even with Jonah, when they threw Jonah overboard, it actually says that the sailors, they made vows and gave glory to God. It actually says that. Both situations. Who is your Jonah? Are you in a Malta? If I had to walk through all of this again, to touch those people at the hospital, to bring this word to you, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Because your father is so good, and his goodness does not, it's not determined from the outcome of the circumstance. There's things I'll never have answers for. There's things you'll never have answers for. I'm gonna free you from the burden of questioning God. You don't know because he's not telling you. The teacher is always quiet during the test. But one day you'll know. Might not be here. <laughs> Might be in heaven. But you will know. You will find out. Some of you need to stop running. Some of you are a Jonah. <laughs> I love that word that was given this morning. Some of you, maybe one, maybe two, maybe two people, have walked away from God. Oh, you still go to church, don't get me wrong. You still go to church. You still turn up and you smile. We're really good at doing that, aren't we? You'll have had the worst week of your life. You walk into church and someone's like, oh, what's in the animal are you? I can find sure everything's brilliant. You walk out and it's carnage. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? We need help. We're created on purpose, for purpose, but for community. We're called to community. We need to let people in. And some of you need to stop fighting a fight that isn't yours. Some of you need to surrender your kids. I'm not a mom, I don't know how to do that. But I know that the Holy Spirit helps us in things that we cannot do on our own strength. I know that much. And some of you need to surrender, me included, to your plot twist and make the most of the situation that you find yourself in that you didn't want to be in. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. This was not my plan. I was meant to be living in England right now. <laughs> but God's grace for my season is where I am, in the valley of the whale. Jonah made, he made the most of the situation. He pursued the secret place in the belly of a whale. He repented, he came back to God. I mean, you can imagine the stick in the belly of a whale and the guts and the yuck of a well, He did not want to be there, but I would rather be in the center of God's will in the belly of a whale than walking in a direction that I wasn't called to. 
but I'm learning that. I'm going to pray, but I feel specifically that we're going to do some prayer ministry. But I feel like I've got a word that I was sitting earlier wrong in my heart. Let's just bow our, our heads and we close our eyes. Someone here 30 years ago experienced a stillborn. I seen a picture of a woman weeping over her baby that had passed away. I, I want to acknowledge your grief because nobody ever did because it wasn't talked about then. It was swept under the carpet. And you were never allowed the right to grieve for your child. And so you shut down your emotions. And in so doing, you never truly trusted God. I want to tell you that your baby is happy and healthy in the whole of heaven with Jesus. God has that child. A child is waiting for you. Thank you, Father. And the other one I, I felt was grieving the loss of miscarriages. A series of miscarriages. If this is you, I just want you to open your heart before God right now. Because if you have series after series of disappointment, and you disconnect yourself from God because you cannot see his goodness of the situation, but your child is with Jesus. And they're waiting for you to join them. Lord, would you take the pain in our hearts? Lord, we release the permission that we've been holding you out. Lord, we give you permission to come and heal the deep wounds or the trauma of losing a child. I thank you, Father, that you know what it's like to lose a child.
because they will stop running and they will turn and you will be the candle in the window in the storm of their life outside and they will come to you because you have the answer that they need. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for Malta, the people that are stuck on Malta. Lord, I pray that the people that are in a place they didn't want, they didn't sign up for, that their heart has become so sick through lack of hope, disappointment, and discouragement. And Lord, we choose today to disconnect ourselves. Lord, we, we divorce disappointment and we marry your promise of hope for our lives. Hope is not a positive outcome of a situation. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And we take your hand, Jesus, and we trust you. Lord, would you blow upon the ashes of our past? Would you blow upon the ashes of our disappointment? Would you blow it all away, Lord? And would you make something new? Because we were created from dust. And you make all things new. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for that bouquet, Lord, the, the vision, the initial vision of the bouquet, which is symbolic prophetically of a promise. That we are holding the promise of walking like a bride to her groom. Lord, that we have that promise as we are walking along the path of our life down the aisle to eternity when we will meet you face to face. Lord, and we hold on to the promise that you are good all the time, that your goodness does not change. No matter what we find ourselves in, Lord, there is always manna in every wilderness. We need to open our eyes and see it. Lord, would you help us? Lord, I just pray now as we sing some songs and have some fellowship, Lord, that you would be in the midst of it. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, you are amazing. Amen. If you would like prayer, please don't be churchy and go home. <laughs> I say that with love. Please don't leave here without having someone put their arm around you and pray with you. We would love, I would love prayer. I would love to pray with you. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. I never thought I would ever speak again. Wow.